We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome today to Lead Talks with the Craigs. This is season one, episode five. Pastor Chad, you excited? Very much so. Yeah, yeah, we're really, really excited. We're grateful for you being on the journey with us. Mm-hmm. What is Lead Talks? Well, in order to lead, you must first be led. And in season one, we've been talking about kingdom leadership. What does it mean to be a kingdom leader? And uh, there's been some, I think, really good uh, topics that we've uh, hit and engaged. And I know, uh, Pastor Chad, for myself, uh, not just from YouTube, but also from uh, audio podcasts, people have been interacting, they're asking questions. And so, obviously, the more of that, the merrier, the engagement with the leadership conversation is we want it to be a dialogue. We want to continue. And so, uh, I really feel like today's subject is going to be a really, really good one. And that is... Here in episode five, we're going to be talking about a husband's love and leadership in the home. Man, my wife's going to listen to this one. That's right. She's going to hold me accountable. Hold you accountable. Yeah. And, you know, we're two men talking. And so when we look at this passage today, Ephesians 5, there's so much that is to be said to the woman as well. But today we're going to talk about the leadership of the man. Um, Tell you a story real quick, just to kick us off. I know of a man who was speaking in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. He must have been speaking about marriage. Uh, as a guest speaker, and while he was there, uh, somebody from the church handed him a letter. It was a girl, and it said, Dear Pastor, I've never really struggled with my future. I've left my future into the hands of God. I really want to be married, but I believe that the Lord has all of that in control. But then she also wrote in her note, Every night <laughs> I kneel down at the foot of my bed after I've hung a, a pair of men's pants at the foot of my bed. And she said, I, I pray this prayer Every single time, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) Well, it's a great prayer, right? I wonder what size pair of pants. That's what I think about. She want a big man or skinny man? That's that's a great question. So he he loved that so much, this pastor, that when the following week he goes back to his own congregation, he wanted to share that. Even though it really didn't kind of fit with his message, he thought, man, I can't, uh, can't pass up an opportunity. So he starts sharing that story. And he noticed there was a family kind of towards the front of his church, and he was speaking. It was a man, uh, there was a father with his oldest son, and his wife and other kids weren't there that day. They were sick, or the, the daughter was sick. And the oldest son, everybody was laughing, but the oldest son, the teenage son, man, he was just like not laughing at all during the story. As serious as he could, eyes fixed on the preacher. Well, a few weeks later, same pastor got a note from that oldest boy's mother, who wasn't at the service, the wife of that man, and the note said, Dear Pastor, should I be worrying every night when my son goes to bed, he hangs a bikini at the foot of the bed? Oh. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, why do I open up with that story? Uh, I don't know, for those that are watching today or listening today, Pastor Chad, I don't know what you expected when you got into marry, marriage, what role you expect your spouse to feel, but I tell you this, there are enough storms and challenges and hardships in life that a pair of pants or a bikini just ain't going to cut it, right? No, they ain't going to solve all the issues. It ain't going to solve the It's going to be a major, major commitment. So, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, I think most Americans know of Benjamin Franklin. He, he once gave this wise advice. He said, keep your eyes wide open before marriage and keep your eyes half shut after marriage. Hmm. And if you're looking at Ephesians 5, which we're going to kind of use a backdrop today, we've been using these different passages 
um, we, we see that big admonition, husbands love your wives. Typically, when we get married, men get married, that love is there, it's strong, it's uncompromising, but there's a tendency over time for that love to kind of wane. So I, I was going to share with our listeners a, a fun kind of illustration. Uh, years ago in the Saturday Evening Post, there was a little article called The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. And you say, what do you mean? It's seven years worth of a husband responding to his wife when his wife gets a cold. So I thought it was funny. The first year of marriage, he says, Sugar, I'm really worried about my little baby girl. You got a bad sniffle. I want to put you in hospital for a complete checkup. I know the food's lousy, but I've arranged for your meals to be set up from the the uh, the uh, Italian restaurant down the street. It's all arranged. Second year, he says, Listen, honey, I don't like the sound of your cough. I've called Dr. Miller. He's going to rush right over. Now just go to bed and get some rest for me. Third year, she gets a cold. Hey, maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest if you're feeling bad. I'll bring you something to eat. You got any soup in the house? Fourth year, he's married. Hey, look, dear, be sensible. After you fed the kids, wash the dishes, you better hit the sack. Fifth year, he's married. She gets a cold. Why don't you take a couple of Advil? Sixth year, hey, babe, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal, like you can tell, right, this is getting worse. In year seven, he said, for heaven's sake, stop sneezing. What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia, right? Mm. So this, this husband... Is a picture, it's a funny illustration, but it's a picture that the principle, if you put the humor aside, what I want our listeners to walk away with, self-included, myself included, is any relationship that is left untended will deteriorate over time and it's ultimately become less satisfying. So when you hear that phrase, untended relationships deteriorate, in the context of marriage, and, and it becomes less satisfying. That's a part two. What do you think of in the, in, in, in the context of marriage? Yeah, well, when you think of the word relationship, right? You know, it starts with a word relate, meaning the idea of a relationship is there's ongoing relating to one another. Hmm. So if the amount that we're relating to each other begins to lessen, then the relationship obviously is going to deteriorate. Mm. Now, the other end of that is, like you said about the guy with the seven seasons of a cold, yeah. is if we are still relating, but we have begun to take on unhealthy ways of relating, mm -hmm. then you can still be relating, but it can just, in a sense, continue to create more and more tension right more and more strife more and more walls being built up so you know sin has affected the world and us so much that if we're not intentional to relate to each other by default mm -hmm. sin and just the way life is will begin to build things between that relationship right deterioration will happen you know and so the thing when you talk about it in the context it's not intentional it's just a, it's just due by to default by default by yeah. default and um that's i think the deceptive quality of sin is that yeah of course there's intentionality that can take place in sin but there's also just the default of the law of sin just a principle of sin just a constant principle seeking to deteriorate mm -hmm. god's best god's design for us in all areas and of course we're talking about uh, marriage and relationship in this. But when you think about kingdom, 
in this, you know, first season, we've been talking a lot when you do talk about keynote about the importance of intentionality. Right. And so this applies again when it comes to the husband, when it comes to relating. There has to be an intentional intentionality because if not, um, the satisfaction is going to deteriorate because there's not going to be healthy relating taking place. There's not going to be interaction. And then, of course, that can create a lot of dangers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of one story I heard many years ago, uh, a man who went off to war and he was engaged, uh, his sweetheart, and uh, he wrote her every day. And he came back after years of being gone and went to her house, her parents' house, and knocked. And the mom answered, and he said, hey, where is, you know, whatever her name was. She said, oh, you didn't hear? And he said, hear what? Mm-hmm. He said, she got married to the mailman. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is, is he wrote every day, but that mailman was able to relate in a way, close contact, proximity, that writing couldn't. And so the point is, is that intentionality and engaging each other becomes very, very important. So... Uh, you know, we're going to explore this topic yep. uh, today by using the Ephesians 5, right? right? Uh, 25 through 33. Uh, and so there's nine verses. Can you read that yeah, for us absolutely. and the listeners? Yeah, so we're going to read Ephesians 5. This is 25 through 33. I was just going to say, Pastor Chad, I was coming across a, a quote recently, Robert Anderson. He said, in any marriage more than a week old, there are grounds for divorce. Now, obviously, he's not writing from the Christian perspective in the sense that there's probably not biblical grounds for divorce, but what he's trying to say is that we're going to, by default, continue to find grounds for the dissension between us or disagreements mm-hmm. between us, right? And so it made me think, like you just talked, that the opposite of love really is not hate. The opposite of love is negligence. So I just stopped paying attention, mm-hmm. right? We're going to talk more about that in a little bit, about the men's role in catching. We Once we get our catch, we, we tend to throw them on default, right? But But uh, verse 25, this is Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave or be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So kind of three things, Pastor Chad, kind of want to look at based on what we've read is what is the meaning of a husband's love? Secondly, what is the manner of a husband's love? Okay. What does that look like when it says love your wives like, love your wives like what, like how? And then finally, the mission of the husband's love. Sounds good. You know, when you first uh, sent the topic of yep. this episode, coming out of submission and humility with the last one, then going to marriage, I said, Man, I mean, he he's just ready to for some people to sling fundamentalism on us, you know. But no, we're going to look at it in a healthy way, right? Not in a fundamental. We're not fundamentalist. Yep. And anyway, so yep. the spirit, uh, his fire and flame for us, the understanding of those three M's you just yeah. mentioned, and and to know that in the context you and I live in, especially here in the West, is that 
the the family unit, the marriage particularly, is absolutely under assault. Constantly. Right, constantly under assault. So we could think of majority of societal ills really point back to the breakdown of the family. No doubt. And so when we have the opportunity to, as men to speak to other men, I think it's a very encouraging. Uh, we want it to be encouraging, certainly. So God's Word is nothing, obviously, very convicting, but very encouraging. So um, something obvious I just wanted us to see, first and foremost, is that <clears throat> you'll notice there's more written real estate in Ephesians 5 given to husbands and wives. So out of the nine we just read, only three he writes to wives, 22, 23, 24. But three times that amount are devoted to husbands, 25, 26, all the way through 33. So you can draw your own conclusions as to why that is. It's my belief, again, just my belief, because the real key rests with the husband, that we are to initiate that. Um, So the meaning of a husband's love. Well, let's begin, I guess, first of all, with the meaning of a husband. The original term, Pastor Chad, husband, means one who works the soil. So he's a tiller of the ground. Um, I often think of John 15 where Jesus said, I'm the true vine, my, my father's the vine dresser. The NIV calls him the, the gardener. Mm-hmm. But the old King James King James Version says, I am the true vine, my father's the husbandman. That's so, right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, so he's the one who works the ground. He's the, he's the tiller, he's the cultivator of the soil. So I, I went this week and checked on Webster for the definition of a husband. And the first definition is this, a married man. Duh. But here's the second definition, getting back to the original meaning. A prudent or frugal manager. Hmm. Now, I think that's pretty suggestive, right? Let, a husband is one who cultivates the marriage relationship. He's the one who wisely manages the home. But I think this is the point, Pastor Chad, I wanted to get, is that men are to be the initiators. And if I can just speak, I know there's a lot of women that listen to sure. this podcast as well, but if I can speak to the men on behalf of women, that's what women want, right? Women want initiation out of husband out of dad, right? Out of the male relationship. They want men to be the spiritual leader. We're speaking obviously to believers, right? They want to initiate the good godly practices in the relationship. And I'll tell you again, uh, these roles, though simply stated, they're not easy, right? No way. I mean, these are these take the, the leadership of God's spirit. There's an old uh, Chinese proverb that says, it's harder to lead a family than it is to rule a nation. And every now and then I'll hear people say, hey, we need... We need more Christian leaders in politics because that's kind of our hot button topic. And I don't ag- I don't disagree with that. But I'm like, man, first of all, I think we need more Christian leaders in families. <laughs> Maybe because I'm a pastor and I deal with the, the breakdown of the family unit. But husbands, cultivators, farmers of relationships, we are called to lead in love. So what does it mean to be the cultivator of love in the marriage relationship? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we talk about led talks and having to first be led, we looked at hearing him. We talked about, you know, as as kingdom people hearing from the Lord, uh, that takes initiative. Yep. And I think, you know, it's sort of the loving God, then loving others. And so when I take initiative in my relationship towards God, then I can receive grace and empowerment from him to take initiative in my relating to others. Specifically, we're talking about in the marriage context. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting is over the years, when I've had times of fasting, Mm -hmm. I've noticed that fasting declutters uh, the soul. But one of the things I've also seen show up sort of consistently is things that's like been around the house, like clutter that don't bother me in the normal 
routine of life. When I'm after I get done fasting, there's like an initiative That's good. to conquer that stuff. Yeah. So my point is this: what that shows me is again the default is to let things just begin to build up, mm-hmm. and but the way of the spirit is to be initiator, mm. is to initiate, is to lead. So. Here, obviously, in the Ephesians 5 passage, Paul's already talked about who we are as a new creation, right? He talks about our identity. Right. He talks about the, the you know, walking as children of light, right. right? And then submitting to God and to want the mutual submission. And then out of all of that, he talks then about the context of marriage for those that are, you know, married. And he says here that, as Christ is the head of the church, right? He's the savior of the body. When you think about his saving work and you think about that, Christ initiated salvation right. for us to receive. Right. And so that's why it does take the work of God in our life because the default for you and I is just to just let things happen. Mm-hmm. And to cultivate something requires intentionality. The difference between thorns in a garden mm. is because the curse and sin yeah the default is thorns are just going to come yeah you don't need to don't plant them nope you don't need to initiate it but yeah. if you're going to have a garden it, it's going to take and require cultivation yep. it's going to take intentionality it's going to take being attuned to it yeah it's going to take prioritizing it yeah there's all these ingredients necessary and so you know, that's what, when we think about uh, cultivating love in a marriage, is we are responsible to find out how can I intentionally express and communicate love to my spouse, Yeah, right, in a way that they can receive it in here. And we'll speak more of that in a, in a moment. But, yeah. Um, so you love uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase yeah, so of Eugene, this passage, Yeah, right? Eugene Peterson obviously wrote the message, right? People call it a translation. It's a paraphrase, it's right? It's a paraphrase. He, right. doesn't, he doesn't even claim, you know, he's with the Lord now, but he doesn't claim it to be a translation. He, he actually wrote it for his young teenage boy. So people shouldn't get up so upset. Oh, no. no, he tried to I mean, it. I understand they get upset if someone that thinks it's a translation, yes. but... Yeah, for sure. So, but the, th- the thought that I had, Pastor Chad, just real quick, and I'm going to read that from, from Eugene, is Paul's, Paul, you know, Paul's writing with a, a, a feather quill or whatever. His ink has not even dried after he writes the word husband, and the very next word is a strong word, agape tate, which is literally the supreme love. Mm-hmm. So this isn't husbands, phileo your wives. This is husbands, agape your wives, mm-hmm. which is this full, exorb- this huge, magnanimous, supreme, divine love. It's a command, though. It's, it's, a, it's literally in a plural present active imperative, meaning it's a command for husbands to do this. And... Yes, the husband is the head of the home, but according to this, he has to provide a heart for the home, and the heart for the home is this love, right? Um, now, I was just going to think for the the ones that are listening, let me mess with your mind a little bit, not because I want to, but because I don't, if, if you notice this is not in the text, you'll never find once where the text says for wives to love their husbands. Now, it helps if they do. We want that. It's good if they do. But I want you to notice that the initiation is the husband to love in this way. So Eugene Peterson says this, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. I love that. That's that's a great picture. When I think of like a husband loving, go all out in your love for your wives. It didn't say husbands rule over your wives. 
It didn't say husbands subjugate or conquer your wives. It says go all out, be lavish in your love for your wives. In other words, the husbands, and this is the part I wanted to get to, authority is to be mixed with his affection, and a wife responds to her husband's love. Um, do y'all know what happens if you take a piece of iron and rub it against a magnet? I do this in my science class. Take a piece of iron, you rub it against a magnet. What happens to the iron? The iron actually becomes magnetized. And I think relationships are like that. I think that love in a marriage relationship is more caught than it is taught. And it's one burning heart igniting another burning heart. And I think it's the husband's burning heart that should be initiated to ignite the wife's burning heart. And husbands then are the cultivators, the gardeners to love lavishly our wives. If you if if you have a husband, some ladies listen today, if you have a husband who's a leader, but not a lover, he's a tyrant. Can be for sure. Right? Uh-huh. So in some sense, if there's no love. Now, now I mean, I, I don't want to take this to the extreme, right? We're not talking about somebody who's like a good man. and love. I'm talking about like if he has no love in his... If you have a husband who's a lover, but he's not a leader, then in some ways he can be kind of a sentimental... Well, the bills might not be getting paid. Yeah. Right? He's, he might r- romanticize you. Right. But when it comes to organizing, yep. vision, moving the marriage forward, paying bills, planning, that stuff is... In the wind. Right. So so you combine somebody who leads but does it lovingly. We would say in the kingdom, a servant leader, right? A tender warrior. You got a man. You got a husband. And have you noticed, all of us, I think, notice that valuable things take time. And the more valuable they are, the more time they take to manage, right? To cultivate. Um, And I think, I think that's a great picture. I think that's the point that Paul is making here is there's a, the, the meaning of a husband's love is this cultivator with an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of all-out love for his wife, right? So the second, the second is the manner of a husband's love. Okay, so he looked at kind of the, the meaning, so to speak. Um, and if if we're honest, Pastor Chad, marriage is the most challenging relationship on the planet. But but God has left us with a pattern, right? He says in this passage, "Wives submit to your husbands; husbands love your wives." That's the pattern. You're a pattern guy. You always talk about patterns. Oh, you talk yeah. about patterns with divine design, patterns with building with balance. Normally when you're ministering or preaching, you're talking about patterns. So God has given us this pattern in this passage. Talk to us a little bit about how that's kind of played out in your own marriage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great question. And uh, yeah, God's a God of patterns and God of order. And uh, First, obviously, the context is read in verse 22, the submission for the wives of the husbands is as to the Lord. So just like when we talked about before in the previous episode, when it comes to like spiritual leaders, right? we're not talking about anything that can't be done as to the Lord. So nothing illegal, right? Yep. Immoral, heretical, right? Unethical. Uh, that wouldn't fall within the submission that Paul's talking about. But um, what I've learned, Pastor Craig, and is the fact that there is a pattern uh what i have or how it's played out in my own marriage is i'm constantly reminded of that fact that there is a pattern mm. and when i seek to go against the pattern yeah the opposite types of fruit is my experience it's mm. the taste of the marriage Yo. so what i'm saying is is the pattern and the fact that there is god's pattern is constantly humbling me or reminding me that 
just like other areas of life, when I go outside of God's design and pattern, things don't go well. Yeah. They don't work well. So we, you can say, based on that pattern, that there is a 100% ability and chance of success for everybody listening right now if they're willing to do marriage God's way. I would say that the authority and the hope of Scripture is that, yes, if you have both husband and wife yep. engaging the priority of the kingdom and the king of the kingdom, yep. and they're willing to learn and grow in the pattern of God for marriage, their marriage will succeed in the eyes of God yeah. and will continue. And, which, which is good absolutely. news to people who might be listening. Correct. Because they're saying as much as 60% of marriages ending in divorce, but the bigger thing that I think I, I, I hear coming out of your mouth that, that kind of gives encouragement to a listener is that there is a delayed, not only delayed adolescence, but delayed significant shift in people not wanting to get married, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, we're seeing that culturally, right? Right, yeah. So, but But I think a lot of it comes down to this is that is there really an authority that we can say, yes, when we work marriage according to God's design, because he's the author of marriage. He created it. Right, created, defined it, and authored it, right? Yeah. That there is a chance for success, because I think many people believe, oh, there's just no ability for success. It's just a fair, it's a fantasy. It's sure. a fallacy. Yeah, or a flip of the coin, right? A lot of people look at it that it's, you know, either you're lucky or not in yeah. the sense of uh, whether your marriage you works. You have no responsibility in it. You're just passive in that. Well, you, you you hope the best, and yeah. you go to the the altar believing. Yeah. But there's so many unknowns, and a lot of people say, you know, I'm not going to take that risk because I don't know what's going to look like in five years or ten years yeah. or fifteen. And so they, through fear, are paralyzed to commit or or things like that. But you know, Jesus defines us as a disciple, a learner, mm-hmm. and I think so often, Pastor Craig, the reason when it comes to the issues with with men and and, and marriage is that. What Jesus is saying is because we're a disciple and we're in a new kingdom, that means we have to learn his ways in every area of life. Right. And what oftentimes happens is other issues or areas of life begin to take precedence, mm-hmm. right? Because they seem to be most pressing. Yeah. Like you think, Urgency. well, yes, they think, well, if, if I don't have a job and we don't ha- pay the bills, well, it doesn't matter if I marry because the marriage ain't going to work. Yeah. Or we have kids now and if we don't learn how to deal with the kids. And so, all these other things seek to try to press out yeah. the learning posture that we've talked about before that's needed in all areas of the kingdom. Yeah. But this gets pushed to the back burner. Yeah. Right. And so this is why when we get, and it's sort of this is like a, a circle of the kingdom mm-hmm. because we're talking about marriage. Yeah. But God intends for many marriages that people want, the husband and wife then reproduce. Yeah. That home becomes a context context for discipleship for future husbands right and future wives okay so and that home becomes a testimony to the world of god's goodness and grace certainly wants it to be and the gospel right and we'll talk about that so but if discipleship's happening early Mm -hmm. within children in a home then once that children departs from father and mother and then cleaves to the wife and they go and create a new context and cultivate it they have already been able to learn some discipleship 
uh, issues when it comes to character, right. when it comes to communication, when it comes to responsibility, when it comes to maybe financial stewardship, when it comes to the priority of prayer, or when it comes to the priority of uh, fellowshipping with other believers. But what happens is, is when you have believers who get born again later in life and doesn't come from a context where such things were cultivated. Yeah. Then you have a man entering marriage, which is already, as we said, a very difficult learning process, right? Even though there's a pattern, it's a pattern that's not natural to us, right? And so they, if they start so far behind in other discipleship areas, this gets pushed so far to the back burner that oftentimes they don't come around it to learn. Yeah. And then it's just, will it survive? Yeah. Because now we're in default and what we've already talked about that now the curses and the thorns are just automatically growing up because there's no intentionality to yeah. cultivate because you're overwhelmed, yeah. right? Overwhelmed. I came across this stat. I had to pull it up on my yeah. phone just now because you, you talked about the, the home being the context. Barna just released, and I had I put it in my phone. When parents love Jesus and walk with him, and that's imperfectly. No one's working walking perfectly. Yeah. 82% of their children walk in faith for a lifetime. That is astounding. Eighty-two percent of the children walk with Jesus. Yeah. A life, a lifetime of faith. If parents walk with mm. him and and stay committed to one another, um, so if you're listening, we could ask, how will you use your time today? Especially if you're a parent. Sure. How will you use your time? If you're married and desiring for kids in the future, how are you going to use your time? So yeah. I think that's the proof's in the pudding, right? Tell you right. So there's the there's the pattern, right? Yeah. Now, obviously. God has grace to enable us to begin to learn and follow his pattern. Yeah. So what I've seen in my marriage is when things are going difficult, it's just the humble reminding that God has a pattern and I'm not prioritizing it or following it. Right. And so now we have thorns creeping up. We have by default, uh, you know, walls being built up. Yep. And so for me, how it's played out in my marriage is it's a constant reminder that God does have a pattern. Mm-hmm. And if I don't seek to prioritize and learn his pattern, things don't become more easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They pile up. So um, we've looked at the meeting of a husband's love and and uh, let's talk now about the manner of a husband's love. What do you see as the manner of love in this passage? Yeah. So so the manner to me, two, two analogies in the text Paul uses to describe love and both analogies begin with the word as. So back to old English class, uh, simile uses like or as, right? Mm-hmm. And so he uses this word as. And first is verse 25, husbands love your wives as, that's the first comparison, as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Now you know why he does this. If Paul would have just said, husbands love your wives, what would we do as men? We'd read that and say, I do love my wife. I told her I loved her 20 years ago. I'm a man of my word. But he says, no, you love your wives like Jesus loves us. And that that gives us pause. Like, oh. But see, that, that's such a key. Yeah. Because just as Christ loved yeah. us. Right. If I'm not growing in the other things we've talked about in the previous episodes, and if you're new and you're not listening to them, we encourage you to go back Correct. and listen yeah. to it. But if I'm not growing in hearing him and fellowshipping, I'm not receiving his love. I don't know how he loves me. Correct. And if I don't know, and I'm not experiencing can't his give love. what I don't have. Correct. Correct. And, and so that's the point here is that I almost feel like Paul wants us to read that and, and pause and be like, uh-oh, that's something I can't attain. To love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that pause then gives me that moment to, 
to see he's going to demonstrate what he means. He lowers it down and he says, okay, love your wives as you love yourself, as your own bodies. So those, those are the two analogies in mind, okay? So if I think of those two analogies, for me, Pastor Chad, it's it's four kind of statements that describe a husband's love. The first one, when we talk about manner, is it's a sacrificial love. Okay. So love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church, gave himself for us. So it was extraordinary love that motivated Jesus Christ, step out of heaven, that's, that's Christmas, come to earth, take yep. on the form of flesh, die on a cross, give us everlasting life. Love motivated him to do that, right? It was Definitely. sacrificial love. Uh-huh. And while he was on earth, Pastor Chad, he was rejected, he was spat on, he was mocked, he was yelled at. Some of you are thinking, sounds like a typical day in my home. Well, I hope not. Mm. But but the key idea is is sacrifice. He gave himself. So what I wanted to say to the men today listening is, do you sacrifice for your wives? If, if I love like Christ loved the church, I'm willing to give something up for my wife. Hmm. Now, if I know the male mind, we immediately go to the far extreme or the bottom line. We say, well, let me tell you something. I'd take a bullet for my wife. Well, that's good. That's ultimate sacrifice. I'll take a bullet for my wife. But think about that statement. If you're willing to take a bullet, which is the ultimate sacrifice, your own life, doesn't that necessarily mean that you'd be willing to make sacrifices short of that ultimate sacrifice? Yeah, and, and it's easy for me or someone else to say that. But if Jesus wasn't already taking up the principle of the cross yeah. his whole life, then how was he going to do the ultimate sacrifice of exactly. bear the physical cross? Exactly. So that idea, if I were to say, hey, yeah, I'll take a physical bullet, but I'm not willing to learn how to do little bullets now that my wife you know, wants me to do. Yeah. I'm not building up the capacity to be able to sacrifice in that Correct. way. And so so I would say that sacrificial love is is to go into your wife's orbit I'm just using that phrase. Go into her world and find out what she wants. You know, it's Christmas time for us, Pastor Chad. So I started thinking this week, what what if I encourage some of my brothers, go into your wife's um, vanity area in her bathroom when she's not looking. And in the next few days, feel her stocking full of chapsticks she like, uh, certain thing, uh, design band-aids that she uses, certain types of face lotion. Mm-hmm. Be intentional about going into their orbit, right? That's the sacrifice, right? Uh, it's also giving up an activity or giving up a game when she wants you to give up a game. That's sacrifice. Like, I'd take a bullet for her, but I won't give up a game, right? right? So right. it has to have some flesh um, in terms of knowing what that sacrifice is. We uh, like staying in the hypotheticals, don't we? Yeah, exactly. The, cri- the cross, though, the principle of sacrifice can't remain hypothetical. That's right. And and the second part of that, that's, I'm still in the sacrificial, but to love like Christ loved the church means that we'll love whether she fulfills her role or not. Yeah, and that that's when you feel that's when you feel the cross, right? Okay. So you feel the pain of the cross in that. So we love res- irrespective of her response. So Romans five, God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that's irrevocable sinners. love, right? And that means I love my life even when she fails. Yeah, even when she sins, and this ties into what you said earlier in the Greek that this isn't phileo type love, right? It's agape, and that's what agape is, right? That's right. It's that deliberate choice and action, regardless of feeling and preference. Yep. So I watched this quick YouTube video, Pastor Chad, and I always loved to listen to kids ask them questions. Kids were asked the question, "What is love?" Describe what love is. One kid said, "Love is when a girl wears perfume and a boy (laughs) puts on shaving cologne, and they go out and smell each other." <laughs> Boy, another he's child, got a lot to learn. Another child said, "Love is all the things written in Valentine's Day cards." And then he qualified it. You know all the things you'd like to say to someone, but you never be caught dead saying them. 
But then Mm -hmm. another child said this, and I love it. Love was when my grandmother got arthritis, and she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandpa did it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Wow. So that's sacrificial love, right? The second manner, though, of of this love is a sanctifying love. And look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but she should be holy and without blemish. Mm. When you hear that word sanctify, we normally, I think the average person is going to think it's a religious word. You know, sanctify is like a churchy word. Right. But originally the term sanctify was a secular term that just means to be set apart for original purpose. Correct. Yes. So let me ask you this, verse 26, sanctifying love. Can you unpack? How is a husband—so we've looked at sacrificial love for a wife. Okay, yeah. What would it be to be sanctifying in my love for my wife? Yeah. This is uh, actually one area in marriage that I uh, have received, you know, revelation and understanding on um, from from the Lord in the, in the text, you know. Because the setting apart here, the way the Lord sets us apart and sanctifies areas of our life, right, Yep, is by the Word. Right. Word, there's rhema. As we hear His voice and as He speaks to areas in our life, these areas begin to be set apart for Him. Right. And we do that willingly. Right. Because His voice, right, is powerful. His voice is filled with mercy and love and peace. And the more we hear the Lord, you know, the prophet said that the Lord will speak peace to His people. The more we hear Him, and he said, you know, my words are spirit in their life, the more we want to hear him. So a way that a husband then follows this pattern in sanctifying the wife is the value of our words. Mm, See, good. women, when you think of biological and physiological, women have wombs, mm. men do not. Mm. Okay? The Bible says that words are like seeds. Mm-hmm. Women have physical wombs. Right. And they also receive the physical seed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what this means is by the design of God, uh, husbands and wives and and the way men are wired and and women are wired by God is women are receivers, but men are imparters. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what this means is, is men, the way we sanctify our wife and protect them from other voices, the voice of the enemy, right. the voice of seducers, mm-hmm. the voice of comparison. Inner condemnation. Yes, the voice that. of yeah, self-hatred is through our word speaking the truth of God in love to them. So well, she can fulfill her role. It, it, it empowers. Yeah. Right? Um, a woman cannot bear a child without the seed of a man. Mm-hmm. So... For a woman to create fruitfulness in a home, mm-hmm. the empowerment comes by the husband filling the heart, which is like a womb, with words that edify and build up. Okay, And so this ties into how Paul says, as to the Lord, yeah. because it's the same way he, right before in Ephesians 4, says the way the body is built up is, and then in Ephesians 5, is speaking to one another. Yeah. Right? that their bodies edified in love, the building up. And so it's the same thing. So even we now know by research, Pastor Craig, and I say we, I'm talking about those that research humans, yeah. whether they're believers or not, right. that a woman, the longer she hears a voice of a male, will begin to be attracted to that voice. Mm-hmm. So a husband, when we continue to speak to our wife, we build the bond. Mm-hmm. We we build that bond 
you know, to us. So that begins to protect. It begins to set her apart from other voices, from the lies of the enemy and things like that. And she wants to know she's a partner with him because that's why that's he, I will make a helper suitable, comparable. That was her original intent, right? Standing alongside. She wants to feel that sense of I'm in your life. We're, we're a unit. We're working together. And our, our voice, our language, our speech helps us. You know, I heard a story of a guy in a, in a doctor's office with his wife, and she's filling out the form, you know, to go in, back to the doctor, and it mm-hmm. said occupation, and she put housewife. And he looked over and said, don't you put housewife, put you're my wife. Now, we guys hear that, and we're like, what is he talking about? Every woman, when I just heard that, or th- when I just said that, they know exactly what I'm saying, yeah. or what that man was saying, yeah. right? You belong to me. You're not just a housewife. It's yeah. occupation. You're mine, right? Yeah. You're mine in the partnership. Yes. And that's what the wives are, are longing to feel. Uh, yes. And so, as a husband, if I'm empowering the seed of God and the truth of God into the womb of my wife's heart and mine, that then helps her be empowered mm-hmm on this co-mission where yep. then she creates the fruit and the aroma and the culture in the home. Yep. Okay. So we create the, the, the seed and, and the vision and the empowerment and the value and the, the dignity and, and the sense that uh, we celebrate. And then that empowers the wife to go and flourish in mm-hmm. that and lead to the culture of the home flourishing she is a garden we're going back to cultivator. exactly she's the she's the well you know watered garden exactly so, speak. so you look at the book at the beginning this is what we think happened with adam and eve because you know uh god first told adam mm-hmm. right um about not eating from the the, the, tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right and then we find eve of course vulnerable to the enemy's message right and so what it appears to be, the text doesn't bear it out, but it, it seems to be saying that Adam failed to impart into her womb, at least consistently enough, mm-hmm. what God had given him yeah. to guard her from the other voice, yeah. which led her not to be sanctified, set apart for God, but to then become divided from God and then from Adam. Yeah. Right? And so this is the value that husbands... Um, bring to the home. And so one of the ways we lead is we lead by imparting words, sanctifying life-giving words to our, our wife. Now, this is important because you talked earlier about that Paul writes a lot of this to show us the impossibility, yeah. a sense of the impossibility. Well, that's what the gospel is constantly about. Correct. That in every area of life, the pattern of God reveals that on our own it's impossible, yeah. which drives us back to the other kingdom values we've looked at, right? Uh, of of dependency on God and and things like that, and the point I'm bringing up is scientifically we know that by average men speak less words oh, yeah. right than women. Things like four thousand, four to six to a day. What is it? Four to four six, six on a and like male. Fifteen thousand for women. About yeah, about nine to fifteen okay. for the female. Yeah. So what this shows you, it's not so much the quantity that women need. But it's that they do need direct, mm-hmm. loving, empowering, clear, sanctifying watching. Yeah, because I fell at this miserably. By the way, I understand. I understand. And uh, 
and we're going to talk here, you know, in a moment, some about love languages and how it, it yeah. plays in. But regardless of that, this shows you that even if I'm not wired with a natural inclination in love languages or whatnot, the impossibility of the gospel then shows me that what's impossible in my own inclination mm-hmm. becomes possible when I have the dependency on the king of the kingdom and God. Right. Then he then can empower me to to speak that uh, into, you know, life yeah. in, yeah. in spirit. Uh, into my wife. And so what this also means is because women have wombs and we don't, it means the way God's wired women is they're more as receivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why women compare themselves more normally than men compare themselves to other men. Women are like walking antennas. Mm-hmm. They are, and, and you've even, you know, there's been books and, and different things talking about the sensitivity of women. Yeah. And the reason is because God's created them as wombs in a yeah. sense. They're receivers. Yeah. So they're always receiving. The problem is we live in a sin-affected world. Right. And what is constantly going out from the world, the devil, and the flesh is that they're not good enough. Right, yeah. So a way a, a husband washes the wife from those lies words. is the words. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a third description. We've looked at sacrificial sanctifying. There's a third description of a husband's love, and I, I just use an alliteration here. It's a secure love. What does that entail then? Yeah, so verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives okay. as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Mm. So a wife is an extension of her husband. That's why typically she takes his name. They become one. They're a unit. It's what Adam realized. When God brought the woman to the man, what did Adam say? Did he go, cool? No, he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. So he said, love your wives like you love your own bodies. Hmm. Now, every man pretty much that's listening feeds feeds his own body, clothes his own body, puts vitamins in his own body, go to the gym and work out. And whenever we do that, we develop a sense of well-being, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're taken care of. You feel really good when you eat right. It's about to be January. It is January now, right? Um, you exercise, you feel right, you just feel good about life. It develops this sense of well-being. In the same manner, he says, if you take care of your wife's needs, you develop in her a sense of well-being. Mm. Um, very interesting, Pastor Chad. In one place in California, decided to put a mirror outside a public building uh-huh. with a camera to observe how sociologically people react to it. Right. They discovered two things. Number one, people like to look at themselves. That's why on um, elevators they do glass elevators because people lose track of the time of waiting on the elevator because they're preoccupied with looking at themselves. Wow. So psychologically, people love to look at themselves. Number two, this was the one that got me. Men stop to look at the mirror more than women. Hmm. And I thought I'd give some gals listening today some ammunition for the future. Men are very body conscious. We love our flesh. Now, I mean that in the sense that guaranteed you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror. You didn't like what you saw. You spent time doing something about it. You changed your hair, whatever. I did too. We put something different on it. We care for our bodies. And that's what Paul's making here is that we care for the re- the one reason the one reason that I've discovered that a wife has difficulty submitting to her husband is because she doesn't feel secure in his love. Right? And so that's that's what I think is this the point here is that she has to feel secure. So a husband's love is sacrificial, a husband's love is sanctifying. A husband's love is secure. Hmm. And and here's the thing, Pastor Chad. We've talked about this in many of our marriage retreats. Men become something in an environment of respect 
women become in an environment of security. Right. So men will change their behavior to gain the approval of the one who respects him. So this is why affairs happen a lot of times at the workplace, is he don't change himself for his wife if he's not getting the respect. But if a girl, a damsel in distress, is showing him respect, men become something different in an environment of respect. Women become something different in an envir- environment of security. Yeah, I right? hear you. Mm-hmm. And so there's this security. But then there's the fourth statement, and it's a stable love. Stable. So sacrificial, sanctifying, secure, stable. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two become one flesh. And what does oneness speak of? Stability. Mm. Right. He's quoting from the book of Genesis here we've talked about. Yep. It's the stability that comes from days and weeks and months and years of leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Right. I'm saying no to that influence. I'm saying no to that relationship. I'm separating myself that I might concentrate on this. I'm more glued to you, Meredith. And we're weaving those threads together by what we do year in and year out. And that provides stability. Stability. So that to me is, I, I don't know, the, the imperative. If I go back to the imperative uh, with, with what Paul's told, to, you know, told the Ephesian elders, so to speak, or leaders, is to love your wives. The, the typical pattern, and here's what the text said, is man sees woman, Pastor Chad, man likes what he sees, Man goes out of his way to impress the woman, make her think he's awesome. She thinks he's awesome. Man proposes to woman. Woman agrees to proposal. They get married. Man thinks the conquest is over. Right? It's over. The great hunter's taken his prey. I got what I wanted. It's what I searched for. I went out of my way to show her how awesome I am. Then I got what I wanted. And so what happens so often is instead of the continual romancing we, we can even take the romancing out. The continual nursing, cultivating. Instead of that sacrificing, it comes to a halt. Stops nurturing, stops communicating. The whole thing comes to this horrible grinding halt. And, and, and Paul ends this manner of love with stable love is the continuation. Hmm. Right? You, you have to continue this, right? The, the same. This is why, Paul, uh, this is why uh, the, the Spirit says to the churches in... Um, Revelation. Revelation 2 and 3. Go back and do the things you did at the beginning. Correct. Right? When Correct. your love is waning or growing cold, strengthen what remains and is about to die is what yeah. the Spirit says, right? Yeah. You have to go back and do the things you did at the beginning. So that that's that's the— And for some, yeah. it's actually go back and allow Christ yeah. and the pattern to become a foundation. Yeah. Because if some are stuck in just the, the hunter-conqueror mentality yep. through that early process. Yep. When that's the primary go and it's more of the soulish, animalistic, fleshly type drive. Right. Then what happens is is we hide stuff. Yep. Yeah. Right. And we're we're not honest. We don't put forward the the male don't put forward who they are. Yeah. And you bring up a great point. In, in and this... then that leads to entrapment in yeah. a sense of you, you bring up a great point that I, I say oftentimes. Like you're using a certificate or a ceremony now as like a prison yeah. that hey, now we're married and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. But we're disciples. You're going to have to learn the pattern of God regardless. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can only l- be loved to the level that we're known. So, so many marriages, these people feel so isolated because where, where secrets live, intimacy dies. Where intimacy sure. lives, secrets die. And so... 
if there are parts of us that are not known in our right. marriage, then our spouses are unable to love that part of us. Sure. So we're only loved to the level we're known, right? And so if I hold that back thinking, if I share this, that I'm not going to, I'm going to be rejected or whatever right. the case is, no matter what other words they give to us and shower us, we always have in the back of our mind the ability to dismiss them yeah. because we say, well, if they knew this part, they wouldn't say such. And right? that's why if you're single yeah. and watching, and we have uh, done you know, many premarital's right. over the years, it's why we highlight the value of premarital counseling. Oh, of course. Because the truth of the matter is, is it would be better to expose those things in the beginning. Oh, my goodness. And give the other potential spouse the opportunity to choose whether they will love you in a sense unconditionally or with you in the process of being discipled in that area. Yes. Then to Rather rob than them yeah. and deceive them from that. Because then it actually gets harder to ever open up that area. Yeah. Right. And we always, there's more on the line. So it's like I'm not, I've, I've gone eight years without telling them I might as well. And go now we're married. Years. Yeah. And then some, not only are they married, now some have kids involved. Yeah. And that's where then when it goes outside the pattern, you're talking about major walls and friction. Yes. And, you know, starts really getting built up. You're so. right. You're right. Well, so we talked about meaning uh, of the husband or the meaning of the husband's love. We yeah. talked about the manner of his love. And we'll end today by talking about ultimately the mission of that, of okay. a husband's love. Uh -huh. So that's verse 32. I'm going to read it for us. Verse 32, this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. And I think about that statement. I write about Jesus and his church. I'm, I've been telling you about the body of Christ. Husbands ought to love their wives like they love their own physical bodies because Jesus loved the church. In other words, please get this picture. Marriage is intended to become a horizontal microcosm of a vertical reality, right? That's what this horizontal marriage relationship is. So talk talk to us about that that yeah, relationship. Yeah. Well, you know, because God is spirit, right? Now, of course, He was uh, His express image and the person of Jesus, but Jesus not physically here on the earth, right? So it's through marriage is one of the ways that the invisible God, right, and Christ is manifested to the unbelieving world, right, and to other people. And another thing leading into this is, you know, you talked in verse 28 where it says husbands ought to love. Yeah. You know, there's been a, an extreme false grace movement that, that has taken place more in the West than anywhere else yeah. where they think that any type of clear command or expectation or exhortation of Scripture, that that's law, and that's not law. Grace comes with purpose, Meaning grace comes with a sense of responsibility. And so what Paul's saying here, there are oughts in the New Testament. Yeah. Meaning because we have access to the God that makes what is impossible for me on my own to love my wife, but because of the gospel, he makes it possible. Right. Grace is available. Therefore, there is an ought. Yeah. There is a responsibility that I have yeah. to learn how to receive his love, his grace, learn his pattern in order to be able to demonstrate that to my wife. Yeah. Um, but so the goal is here, the mission is this oneness. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and this is like, and the oneness for the sake of displaying God's love for his church, right? S displaying the, the goodness of God to a world that's his watching. gospel. Yeah. Right. And, and part of the gospel has great mystery in it. It's yeah. Galatians two twenty, where right. Paul says, I was crucified with Christ and the old Paul no longer lives. But I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself mm -hmm. for me. 
What Paul's saying is, is now the gospel's made a way where there's this oneness between me and Christ, that as we grow in oneness, you don't really know, are you encountering Paul or are you encountering Christ? Mm -hmm. Because we have become so one Mm -hmm. in the way we think and our volition and our affection and working together and being about the co-mission. And uh, that's where, you know, biblical Christian godliness or Christ formation takes place, you know, where you're not constantly conscious all the time of needing that manifest characteristics of Christ, yeah. he's formed in you. Yep. All right, well, this is the same type of oneness that he's calling the mission to in marriage, is showing that it is an ongoing process in growing in oneness and growing in understanding and growing in how to serve, sacrifice, love, yeah. communicate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're dealing with two individuals that bring two li- previous lives. Such a variety. Yes, into a new context, mm-hmm. seeking to establish that context for the glory of God. We're learning about each other. Mm-hmm. Not only are we learning about the past that we bring into it, but we're also changing in the midst of learning about oh, the course. past, right? I'm not the the same person Michelle married over 20 years ago when she married me. Yeah. I, I was all sports and and I, you know, played college baseball, and, now and that's why I you're committed. And, that's why I would say you're always committed to the both of us more than you're even committed to the other person, because the other person that you commit to it and the altar is not going to be that same person five years from now. And right, but you're is, committed to the union, the oneness, the oneness, of us. and that's why without a biblical framework of marriage, yeah. there will be a season or a moment where without also understanding it was a commitment to the pattern of God and a commitment before God, it, it would be so easy then to just walk away. Yeah, and so many, Chad, have this lack of of the presumption of the permanence of marriage. There's always this D clause, right? Yeah. divorce clause. There's always this what if. There's always yeah. if this happens. And So in this oneness, when you have two individuals yeah. that God gave individuality to, yeah. but they're learning how to not use each other's individuality to hurt the other or to stay completely individual, but how through a healthy interdependence can we together move forward in the mission of God and displaying His beauty through our marriage, right? Well, that means there's going to be things that's got to be tore down. There's Mm got to be things that's going to have to, uh, you know, be dug and, and laid. And there's a whole process, just as the process of individually us being conformed to Christ, there's a whole process in the marriage becoming more and more one. And we're gonna, you're going to have to, you know, I wish Michelle and I knew all that we know now. There was no five love languages when we got married. Yeah. There was no, I didn't even know personality uh, profiles. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I tell oftentimes when you hear some marriages say, you know, we never fight. Yeah. I don't I don't distrust them. I don't think they're lying. But what I know is is they're fortunate enough that they married themselves. Yeah. And I married themselves in the sense that they married someone with the same personality, same love languages. Yeah. And therefore there's a natural oneness. Yeah. Okay. But the reality is Or for, they're not really dealing with anything that's below the surface. <laughs> maybe. May, yeah, maybe. I I just can't imagine that they live in that much of a fantasy world yeah, where I, that but I have to think that I have sort I of have spiritual spidey senses when I hear that that we never argue my mind immediately and that may be the fallenness of of my reality but I'm always thinking of maybe, maybe never talk about anything that has maybe. any significance but I think a lot of times it's because they have married someone just like them yeah. and so there's no friction you know it's like either they're both doers or they're both sort of let's stay in the house and chill or the same personality but for the most of us Pastor Craig yeah. and I know this is regarding our marriage because we talk obviously 
uh, as we minister to others and share and become vulnerable. We have not married a person like us. Oh, no, certainly right? not. Right? So the oneness of that process of learning how to love and communicate and how another, our spouse, receives love that's different than how we receive love, man, that's a process. Right. But that's what we are called to in the mission yeah. is engaging in this process of becoming one. And it's not one in the sense of becoming necessarily like each other, but it's becoming one where there's no division. Yeah. There's celebration. There's unity. There's a value. Unity and diversity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Unity and diversity, yeah. just like the Ephesians 4, the body of Christ with yeah. different gifts. And that's a process. And so... It's two becoming one flesh without surrendering their own individuality, individual personalities, right? Correct. Yeah. And where there is surrender, it's got to be willing. Yeah. Because that's the same thing. Christ says, whosoever will, come and drink. Yeah. And so, uh, and I would just say that, you know, the oneness is learning that when I'm not receiving what I want for my wife, mm -hmm. I am empowered to sow seeds that when they then come to fruition in my wife would then empower her to want to then sow back into me mm -hmm. the seeds I need. Now, here's the difficulty of marriage is, is normally when I'm feeling empty, oftentimes your spouse is feeling empty mm -hmm. sometimes. So who's going to initiate? Who's going to take up the cross the first? Yeah. Who's going to demonstrate more maturity and dependence on God first and allow the pride to come down. Mm -hmm. And that is why marriage is so difficult, yeah. is because living out in the closest relationship we'll ever have, and in a relationship that daily we're engaging one another, in a home that we every night live in, yeah. right? It's the closest relationship we have, having to then live out that principle of the cross. Right. So let well, me... The, uh, the mission, the mission, just say this, Pastor yeah. Chad. I was thinking this week, a good Christian marriage, if we tie this up, is a good witness. It makes redemption visible and i thought about it this week if two christians and a marriage can't humble themselves and resolve conflict and forgive each other how are they ever going to have a message for anyone else about the love of god the forgiveness of christ and i mean this in the best of sense but a good marriage is a good witness a bad marriage is a bad witness so the purpose the the, the mission of a husband's love is to speak of Christ's love for the church right mm -hmm. and that's not to heap condemnation that's to say to all of us this is this is a responsibility we have as go sure. God make our home a testimony to the world of uh your goodness of your gospel so absolutely I mean think saying, about the world yeah go ahead so when it comes to the world Philippians 4 8 the filter of what we're to think about there's a lot of evil happening oh. in the world but we're exhorted to do what? To focus yeah. and to meditate on the good Other and things. the glory of God that is in the world. Yeah. So then when you take that same sort of pattern when it comes to our devotion to marriage, I mean, I can find fault with my Benjamin wife Franklin, very easy. Before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. Exactly. After marriage, half closed. So now we're talking then about a deliberate choice yeah. for oneness and for the mission to learn to focus on the positive right. things of, of the spouse and, and growing in that oneness. So, yeah. Um, how is the man's role uh, under attack in our culture today, yeah, today so, Pastor? Yeah, so, you know, I thought Craig. just as a last kind of encouragement to men, I'm a man, I'm speaking right now to men, so men that are listening, we as husbands, we have to know that our role's under attack. The family is under attack, under besiege. And, but principally, 
you as a man, I as a, I as a man, am being attacked by the forces of darkness, right? Satanic darkness, to have our role undermined, to even have the role of a man be undermined in our culture. And to understand the strategy behind this, you have to understand that in order to neutralize an army, you kill the commanding officer. You want to demoralize the nation, you kill its king. For us, it would be kill its president. You want to ruin the church, you destroy its pastor. You want to ruin a marriage, devastate a family, destroy kids, you take out the dad, you yeah. take out the husband, you take out the leader. You want to conquer another nation, you get rid of the men. That's right. And 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 the enemy Satan would love for those men that are listening for them to be passive men. He would love nothing more than for us just to stay in passivity. But God would be honored if all of us listening would become tender, warrior, servant, leader, cultivator, gardener in the home, to love her, to show up for her, keep learning about her, keep growing, keep moving forward in God's intent and purpose. And Pastor Chad, I, I never forget this. There's a statement that I kind of put to memory. I've loved it so much. came to me before I even we even planted here. Uh, in a marriage retreat, and actually from all places came from a person who was quoting a singer-songwriter, Roberta Flack. Hmm. And she said something I've committed to memory. I've shared it at several weddings. She said this, getting married is easy, okay? And anybody who's ever gotten married, they would agree with that. Or maybe not with all the planning and prep. But she said, listen to the whole statement, getting married is easy. Staying married is more difficult. Staying happily married for a lifetime is considered among the fine arts. And so my challenge today was, men, let's become Rembrandts, let's become Picassos, let's become Van Goghs, Renoirs. You pick your artist, Michelangelo, and decide today, right? Even listen to this podcast. I'm going to decide today that by God's grace, my attitude and my actions towards that woman that I have a covenant relationship with, I'm going to have the attitude of a cultivator, of a husbandman, of a farmer, the tealer of the soul. And I believe, I believe that's the key. So any final thoughts that you have? Yeah. Just, for, uh, for, for men yeah. is, you know, if you're bored, yeah, well, it's because you're not seeing that a challenge is right in front of you. Right. A challenge of learning. Yeah. About someone that's made in the image of God. That's constantly changing. Yep. The challenge of how to love sacrifice the things we talk about, the challenge of how to be one. I mean, you want to talk about a challenge? Yeah. That is a mega challenge. The highest, the highest of challenges. Yeah. And so if you're engaging in that challenge, there's no boredom. Yeah. Because it takes intentionality. It's yeah. going to take effort. And so I would just say to me, and you know, let's be up for the challenge. Yeah. You know? We're we like challenges. Well, let's let's be up for this challenge yeah. that can display God's glory and goodness to the world. Right. And let's remember. As kingdom men, yep. we're disciples. Yep. We're learners. Yeah. And so there's no this, well, I got married and now, you know, I'm just seated and and, and resting and passive. No, we're yeah. learners. Yeah. We're disciples. No, no, in and, no way have any of us arrived in that sense. Because it's a dynamic relationship that requires I know I haven't. Yeah. And I I mean, uh, I've read some good marriage books of of those that are really grace to minister to marriages, you know, that I look up to and stuff. But I've never been close enough to any marriage uh, where any of them have ever told me yeah. that they're not constantly engaging in the challenge, yeah. growing, having to be intentional. And at the end of the day, if we are faithful to nurture, to mix our authority in our home with our affection, 
the joy of that garden of our marriage is not that just we are happy. It produces fruit that feeds others. Correct. Right? Correct. So the rest of the world around us is feeding off of the cultivation I do in my wife's life. Certainly, right, right yeah. which is what the gospel is. The gospel, yes, first foundation in me. Yeah. The goal then is impartation and then multiplication, yeah. right? Divine design. Same thing with marriage. Yeah. Is that the end goal is then impartation and multiplication for his glory takes place through. My life not just about my life, and my marriage is not just to be about my marriage. Yeah. Right? My home is not just to be about a home. So yeah. the, the encouragement, uh, you know, there for the men. Absolutely. Is well, be encouraged, men. And I know this is a difficult conversation, but uh, I think a helpful conversation. Yeah. And statistics show, research, that if you will make it, to empty nest, if yeah. you have children, yeah, and you stay with the same the, person, the person of your youth, <laughs> you will be more satisfied at end of life than if you were to, in the hard times, leave, yeah. and get remarried, yeah, right. Those who divorce, remarried again, the percentage that they divorce again, oh, it's multiplies, massive. right. And so, for some of you, maybe you're in the same season we're at. We're in like the peak of you know, sort of midlife. Yeah. You know, you got. We got homes full of kids. We're sort of peak of you know our job and ministry responsibilities. All the strains, all strains in of this life. season, yeah. And maybe you're in that season, bull. What seems impossible becomes possible when we seek God and know that the difficulties of this season um, is not all that the future holds. Yeah. And I would say if you're newly married. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and be proactive and seek to learn God's pattern yep. and get His ingredients cultivated now before then you have kids, yep. before you get to some of these things, and you'll be ahead of the game. Yep. And God will use you to breathe life That's right. on other marriages because yep. so many marriages are behind the oh pattern. But yet God's got grace and mercy. Yeah, there'll be to no shortage of ministry opportunities. Well, Pastor Chad, we don't do this. We haven't done this in the first four episodes, but on episode five, I'd like to close today by praying for men. And just pray for marriages as a whole. And, but yeah. but I want you to craft, ask the Lord to craft in men this this truth that we've been looking at in Scripture. And for for God to breathe hope into hopeless situations, people that might be listening, uh, encouragement to men that need encouragement, and we'll just ask God's blessing on sure. them. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe life and light Lord, an encouragement to the men. Amen. That, Lord, the fire of your spirit would ignite within them, Lord, a, a willingness to engage in the challenge of growing in sacrificial love and service, Lord, towards their spouse. Amen. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would strengthen them in the inner man. Lord, we pray that the blood of Jesus, where walls and resentment and just things of even because of default, of passivity have built up in their marriage, that the blood of Jesus would tear down, Lord, every wall and brick of enmity, that there would become, Lord, by your Spirit, a new sense of oneness, teamness, same team, that, Lord, all men would come to their right mind to remember that how they treat their wife is ultimately how they treat themselves because mm-hmm. what they sow into the wife, they'll eat the fruit of. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, we just pray, Lord, for your grace and empowering presence. And, Lord, for those that need even additional help, Lord, direct them to the right godly marriages or Man, godly counselors, yeah. people that would help facilitate conversation and growth 
And we thank you, you who called us as faithful to sanctify us. And that includes the sanctification and the growing of oneness in our marriages. And we thank you for this, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, that's a wrap. Season one, episode five, The Husband's Love and Leadership in the Home. Hope it's been a blessing to you. If you haven't subscribed to this please channel. Please do. Yeah, please do. Our goal is to get this up. We're going to double this in a few weeks of the amount of subscribers as people are interacting with the content. You can also hit the bell, and that way you get push notifications about all updated content. So we got so, some more in the shoot. That's Be right. Coming. Yep. Share with others. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Lead Talks with the Craigs.